So the bloody shawl was taken allegedly from the scene of the crime by one of the cops who gives it to his wife as like, good news, baby. This is a bloody shawl from a dead hooker. I know how much you love these. <laughs> you look so good at that Christmas dance we go to. Your eyes are really going to sparkle. <laughs> History, I'd like to follow me. Hello, and welcome to HILF, history I'd like to fuck with Don Brody. I'm Don Brody. And HILF is now part of The Den. That's the Deluxe Edition Network. It's a community of very cool podcasts that cover a variety of subjects, from movies to whiskey, from true crime to pop culture. Find out more by clicking on the link in our show description or by going to deluxeeditionnetwork.com. But right now, it's the hilfing of the notorious serial killer, Jack the Ripper. Now, here's all you need to know going in. Jack the Ripper is the pseudonym given to the unknown killer of several women in the London slum of Whitechapel in 1888. Now, there were at least five victims, all women, all killed within about one mile and three months of each other. And as abruptly as they started, the murders suddenly stop and the trail goes ice cold. And since then, there have been hundreds of suspects who run the gamut from Whitechapel lunatics to famous painters all the way to the royal family. I know, right? And with me on this gruesome journey is actor and improviser Peter Vogt. He's done everything from Disney Channel to American Horror Story to the wizarding world of Harry Potter. (laughs) It's a bloody good time. Hmm. Let's get started. I'm so goddamn glad to have you in my house. Because Peter Peter Vote is not just my friend, but he is my sometimes husband. Yeah. <laughs> my sometimes neighbor. Yeah, and sometimes I'm your husband when you don't know it. Interesting. Like now that I know where you live again. Ooh. And sometimes your husband's husband. Wouldn't that be a thrill? He oh. is so handsome, isn't he? Yeah. Handsome. <sighs> He's so Talk dreamy. About Jack the Ripper. Oh, girl. <laughs> See, and this is wonderful. This all comes full circle because Peter, when he is my sometimes husband, is at Universal Studios Hollywood, the entertainment capital of LA. And my daughter and husband have come and seen us on the oh, street. God. So we open the window and lean out in these outlandish New York costumes. Hey, you know. Hey, how you doing? And I go, oh, hey, sweetheart, this is. And my daughter, I say to my daughter, who understands, we've prepared her right. for this moment. Oh, look at this cute little girl. Can I introduce you to my husband? Isn't he? And she's yelling, that's not your husband. She knows the truth. She yells, that's who? And she turns around to me, what's going on? Who is this guy? I, like, I can't believe your child is five. Yeah. We're going to be five. She's going to be five in July. Because. She used to perform with us in the window when you were pregnant. <laughs> yes. I would keep the bump under the windowsill because... As I do, too. Who doesn't have to put their bump... I just bump. refuse to have my baby. <laughs> you got to have your bump under the windowsill once in a while. I do have more of your credits you for do? my man, Peter Vogt. Check this out. Okay, so theme parks we talked about. Should I tell you? I'll Mad say what's TV. true is not true. Okay, you can also like, ding, that was a favorite, or boo, didn't oh, okay. care for okay. Oh, good. Uh, Mad TV. So Mad TV, my brother was the regular, and I did a couple of episodes. Your brother is a twin, so yes. there it's Paul not just... Paul C. Vote. 
I'm posing after I say that. Good for you. And it's very hard to tell. I've never seen them in the room together, but I hear it's uncanny. That's true. It's ridiculous. Um, The Princess Diaries 2. Yep. Reno 911. Yep. Arrested Development. And that was with Actually, all of that was. Princess Diaries was with my brother. Um, Reno 911 was a revisit to a character he had done, paintball Uh. character, which was ridiculous. Hilarious. Hannah Montana, American Horror Story. Yeah, it was a Really? Yeah. Uh, Parks and Rec. Oh, that was very fun. And then I don't know to what capacity I can say this, so I'm going to use coded language. You were uh, worked for the mouse on the cruise line as the man in the big red suit. Yes, I was, as we say, friend of Santa Claus. You were a friend of Santa Claus on the Disney cruise line, and that was just recently, was that the best? Awesome. Right? It yeah, sounds it was amazing. like, I imagine that being Santa has to be, as exciting for the individual playing Santa as it is for the people who are sort of sparked by that. It isn't. Call. It isn't. It's. It's. That's a great point. It's really fun to do because the kids can be amazing mm. and to see a kid's face light up and stuff. The parents, <laughs> as in anything, they're you know, the ones who ruin it. Well, because they're like my child is the most important, and sure. then people would come up with a family of like six. Mm. So we get a picture with all six kids, then each one child. Mm. And then just the boys, just the girls. Now with mom and dad. Now with mm. just dad. Now with just mom. And then all of a sudden, the group behind them has been waiting. Like, there was one family that took 20 minutes to take family pictures. Oh, come on. And you, they're just throwing children around. Like, the kids want to talk to Santa. Sure. They don't care about the picture. They're right. like, are you kidding? I get to tell him what... Exactly. This is kind of a big moment. And instead, the parents are just shoving kids here and there. And oh. So to me, parents out there, Par- hmm. also, you know you know the deal. Why would you tell a kid to tug at Santa's beard or... Don't tug on Santa's Santa. beard. But the kids were awesome. Of course. It's fun because you're like, oh, that's the popular toy now. Uh-huh. Do you know what I mean? Like, sure, you I don't, know things. I don't have children, so I don't know what's going on in the world. So I learn. Yeah. Oh, this is oh. what kids want. Beatrice asked Santa for Gabby Cat's dollhouse. And there guess you what? You fucking delivered. Well, you know, that's <laughs> what we do. You were telling me at work, you were like, Dawn, I like your show. I listened to the episode. I think it's great. And I have an idea. And I love it when guests and potential guests want to fuck something specific. You were very adamant. Jack the Ripper. I mean, come on. I will. I have. I will again. You have to. Um, Jack the Ripper is a great suggestion. I jumped in with both feet. Can you tell me before we get into the history, why and what it was about Jack the Ripper that was so intriguing to you? I'm not like an Anglophile in the sense of like, I live and breathe for England. Mm. But when I did finally get to go to stay in London, I stayed in Whitechapel. Oh, interesting. was so fascinated that I was staying in the most infamous place in London other than the castles. Right. If you can't go to the very top, I say go to the very bottom. If you can't go to the royals, go against them. (laughs) So I've always been fascinated by, I want to say the legend of Jack the Ripper. Yeah. But just the fascination of, it's one of the few things like Black Dahlia, like it's never been solved. Mm -hmm. There's tons of suspects. And there's tons of information and historical information mm-hmm. and the craziness of the times. Yeah. And 
I, I find that fascinating. It's so fascinating. Before I go into like the sources that brought me the information, I want right. to give a note about the sources that you probably, because you've done some research too, you probably know this from the get-go. You have to be so careful when you're researching this history about the word truth. You, there's lots of information, as you said, tons of information, books and books and books and documentaries as far as the eye can see. Right. There are no shortage of information. When it comes to getting to the truth about Jack the Ripper, here are going to be the limitations on you and me and people with PhDs and people who live in Whitechapel and everybody's got the same sort of boundaries around the truth. One is, of course, it's 135 years ago. Almost as old as me. <laughs> Almost as old as Peter. Old and so I could know, have known Jack the Ripper. You I guys might have, it, it could be you. You could, you are I in my be. list you of suspects. Know. You don't know. <laughs> um, and if you ever watch that show 48, <laughs> you know, you got, even in 2023, you got 48 hours to fucking figure it out. This Bo is about 135. Go. And in addition to just, it was so long ago, 135 years is also without our not always perfect, but helpful DNA, fingerprints, surveillance camera, all the things that we lean on now. Yes, so we but are, what they were able to do with what they had at the time is also fascinating. To it me, is, right? It is also super fascinating and also further complicated right. because even our modern technology applied to something from 135 years ago leaves a lot of slips between sure. that cup. And Elliot, right? Um, so that's the far away. The other problem is the Blitz. In 1941, 1942, there was a little old World War II, and among the other atrocities was the Blitz, which was extensive bombing of the city of London by the Germans, and among other things, documents and evidence on the Jack the Ripper case were destroyed and devastated blown forever. Up. Yeah. Blown up. And then your third problem with the quote-unquote truth is that there are endless motivations for people to make stuff up, find something new, lie. Because you and me and every, we're so interested because Jack the Ripper is this sort of black sweeping hole of like fascination that there's a lot of money to be made. There's a lot of fame to be gained by individuals who can find new evidence, come up with a new theory, propose something that can put them in the spotlight. So that being said, here were the sources that I went to. This book, holy shit, you are welcome. I'm handing my friend oh. Peter this book. It's one of those that, like, as historians, you're like, ooh, it's as big as a Bible book. Um, it oh, is, wow. It is The Complete History of Jack the Ripper by author Philip Sugden. It is. It was written originally in the 1970s, and it's updated every 10, 20 years with, like, the new evidence and the new theories, and it dispels a lot of rumor and speculation, and it's fantastic. I watched a ton of documentaries, girl, and let me tell you this, for those of you who love fucking history, but you don't so much love like reading history, getting into the, um, the movie From Hell, 2001, starring Ooh, Johnny Depp and yes. Heather Graham. It was based on the graphic novel. Right. Um, uh, and the historian in me has to tell you, it's bullshit history. Sure. Um, everything from the the relationships to the descriptions of each character. But what it really does is set a beautifully vivid scene. Of the time. Of the time. Yeah. The time yeah. Theory, sure. Like if you just sort of want to take a walk through the poetry of the history and, and come to me for the facts or go to the book for the facts, that movie from hell, it's not a great movie either, by the way. I got like halfway through it and was like, oh, there's so many problems with it. It was like, I don't know. But it looks very cool. <laughs> Given all of the sources that we have, yeah. here is my plan 
for fucking Jack the Ripper. Okay. We're going to, I'm going to give a little snapshot of that city of Whitechapel, 1888, because I feel like, as we said, it's so unique, so specific, and truly like as much a character in this story as Jack the Ripper is. It's like New York in Sex in the City. Like, like right, you can't it, just set it somewhere else and tell But that specific the story. area. Exactly. That's the thing about it. Mm-hmm. Like, that's what I found so fascinating when I went and stayed in London. I thought I was going to this dark, horrible area, and it was lovely. Well, now, to be fair, the Whitechapel of 1888 has been practically bulldozed. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. So there are a couple of... As a matter of fact, when you go to our Instagram, or if you look at the description show notes of this episode, I have linked a few of my favorite documentaries because there are hundreds. Oh, yeah. One of some of my favorites, what they do is real cool 3D reimagining of Whitechapel in 1888. So they go with the cameras to Whitechapel now, and they're basically like, those buildings are gone, it's like this, here's how narrow, and they show, like, if you put your arms from side to side and walked here in 1888, you would be able to touch. So that is, I love that stuff. That's that's very cool. Super. Yeah, you get off the train, or the tube, and you come up, and like, you're hit with 25 different Jack the Ripper tours. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's just the thing. Yeah. In that area. Yeah. And why not? And there's a tavern and who wouldn't want to drink there? Um, So we're going to talk about like that time and place right there. Um, Then I'm going to go through the canonical five (gasps) who are. I love that you know (laughs) The canonical five. Canonical. 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 Which is because there's so much unknown about this and murder. Jack Ripper didn't invent murder in Whitechapel. There are some victims that like some people believe were Jack the Ripper victims and some don't. But there's five that like virtually everybody agrees these five women were definitely killed by the same person and this person had a very specific MO. Then my favorite suspects and oh, why yeah. we'll they see, are We'll see if they suspected. match up. Yeah. Oh, I can't wait. Yeah. Because Peter is uh, interested in this stuff and has done his own research. And Not jumped, like you do. But, but let me tell you this. you t- Girl, you jump in, girl. Girl. It's girl, no fun. It's not fucking if there's not, you know, a partner. So this please like feel free. Me, you, and Jack. Sure. It's 1888, Whitechapel. It is Victorian London. And there's fog is rising. Um, And Victorian England is defined, it depends on how you're defining it. Technically, it's the reign of Queen Victoria, which goes from 1837 to 1901. That's 63 years. But some people define, you know, if you're talking about fashion or right, something, it say, can, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it kind of revs up. But technically, this is it. So it's we're it's the thick of it. It's been it's going thick of it. for a while, and, and it's good. And what one of the things, one of the hallmarks of the Victorian era is that generally England's fucking booming, girl. Right. Victoria's a, a very successful queen. The England is as big as that empire ever gets. They have recently taken new areas of Africa and India because they're doing their colonizing stuff that we hate so much, but they are doing it so good. They've gotten huge. They've gotten new territories. The population of England has doubled. The population of Wales has doubled. We got us a baby boom because there's money and there's expansion. Ireland, not doing as well. Ireland's very poor. And one of the other hallmarks of this time is that England has started to get other European allies against Russia. It's czarist Russia at the time. And among the things that the czar and that Russia is doing that is pissing off the rest of Europe is they are persecuting the Jews. 
heavily, and a lot of them Jews are coming to England, and Whitechapel is also bringing the, the lowest class, the poorest English people. Your poorest immigrants are all living in this particular neighborhood of Whitechapel. More than comparing Whitechapel to London, or even Whitechapel being like, how does Whitechapel relate to today, is Skid Row. Yeah, I was so, just going to say, it's like the poorest mm -hmm. of the poor in that successful city. The poorest of the poor in the richest city on earth. That huge income disparity. And a lot of the people who are living in Whitechapel, in addition to being just poor and immigrants, they're mentally ill. They are addicted to drugs. They are committing a, a litany of various crimes to live. And just to give you a perspective of how, how poor were they? There were, uh, give or take, 80,000 people residing in Whitechapel, okay? Of those 80,000, 8,500 of them, Peter, per night are looking for lodging in one of the DOS houses. They're called lodging houses. Right. They were, you pay for a night for one bed. If, you're, if you can't afford a bed, you could pay less and sit shoulder to shoulder next to people and they'd tie a rope around your chest that you could lean forward on. So like Spirit Airlines wishes they had this kind of yeah, luxury. You I know? think that's what they were based on. <laughs> yeah, Spirit Airlines was like, oh, how much oh, did I get a night for those? How much is that rope? Oh, people seem pretty grateful to have them, didn't yeah. they? Um, and if you couldn't afford that, then you were literally out on the street. Um, and so that's like just over 10% of the population has no housing or no stable housing. They're, going, they're earning the money during the day to pay for a bed at night. Children born in Whitechapel... 55% of children born there were, died before they were five years old. Wow. There were 80,000 people and 62 brothels. My hometown of Wisconsin Rapids, Wisconsin, had about 50,000 people and no brothels. Really? Come One on. One strip club. I'm Come not saying on. that people weren't dishing out money for sex, but there was no place that you could like, go. Come on over to Mama's. Like, that's a lot. Uh, that's a disproportionate. But it was an industry. Their escape was to these drug dens, these brothels, and Whitechapel was basically the hub yeah. for all of that. Totally. And you simultaneously, you went there when you were absolutely desperate and had nothing. And you went there when you were looking for someone. You were rich and you went there because you knew people would do things because they're so poor. Yeah, that's exactly right. But that being said, this is why this is fascinating and why I really wanted you to sort of establish with me like how nasty Whitechapel right. is, right? Because even given that, over half these kids dying. We've got starvation. We've got rampant prostitution. You know there's violence and there's murder all the time. So when the quote-unquote Whitechapel murders start, we know they are significant in the psyche of the people just because they mention them and are talking about them at all. Because immediately when the first Whitechapel murder happens, people sort of lift their head like, this is different. This is different. It's even like, again, in Skid Row, we know people die, people overdose, people get into fights and kill each other. We kind of understand that. But if all of a sudden they just started finding eviscerated bodies with no motivation, it's, there is a manner of death that shocks and yeah. makes you feel like this is something new, something special, and this is what this was. So the first quote-unquote Whitechapel murder, long before we have the term Jack the Ripper, takes place on April 3rd, 1888. Um, a woman named Emma Smith stumbles home to her lodging house, whatever was her bed that night, right, right, right. and tells the people there, 
oh my God, I got attacked by three guys. She was stabbed in the vagina. She was horribly brutalized. She was cut. She's taken to the hospital where she dies. But she was able to say, three guys jumped me. And she describes them a little bit. And people were like, oh my God, this is a shocking murder. Okay. Four months later, August of 1888, Um, Early morning hours in Whitechapel, guy's on his way to work, he's walking down the stairs of his building, and on one of the landings is the body of a woman who has been stabbed, Peter, 39 times in her abdomen and in her vagina. She's obviously dead, he doesn't, her skirts and stuff have been pulled down, so he doesn't know, but he's like, oh my god, you know, and he runs and he gets somebody. And this is when people start to get like, what the fuck is this? Again... Two drunks get into a fight. Someone gets robbed. Someone gets raped. We get, we, it's awful. You people can, get shot. People get murdered, but not chopped up this way. No one, and you want to fuck this woman? Pay her if you want to. I mean, we're not saying to go and do this, people. <laughs> of Understand course. we're talking <laughs> no, about the, Thank the you. Time. I should clarify. Yes, I don't know if there's what a I'm disclaimer is, that comes with what, the show. What I'm saying is that as they're trying to suss out a motivation, right? it appears pretty quickly you like killing people. Yeah, because this if is you for... wanted anything from her, it was yours. Right. And if you wanted to kill her, you could have killed her with five stab wounds. Yeah, there's a lot of anger in this. Mm. The first, Peter, of our canonical five. I love, I Isn't love it? that phrase. Do you think we should start a band called... The canonical five? We'd have to five, find three other people. Or I was going to say, let's call it the canonical five, but there's only four people in the band oh. because the fifth member is the audience. Oh my God. Do you want to? Who wants to get canonical with us? If anybody even knows what that word means. So here's the first one that, again, virtually everybody agrees this is the start of an MO that is associated with an individual killer. Um, August 31st, 1888, at 3.40 in the morning, a guy named Robert Paul is walking to work. 3.40 in the fucking morning, I'm going to say that again. Walking to work down Bucks Row, which is an area in Whitechapel. I don't know what it looks like right now, but at the time, it was a very, very long, very, very narrow alleyway right. that had just one you know, one way in at one end, one way in the other. There's doorways along the way, but there's no like in or out necessarily access along the way that isn't terribly narrow and winding and ultimately goes to a dead end, right? So Robert Paul's walking, and he sees uh, coming out of a door doorway towards him this man who then stops and looks down and then waves him over Robert Paul is like come here come here there's a woman down here come look at this one and he's like what and they walk over and this woman is dead they can't see the extent of her injuries it's still kind of dark but she's her hands are cold but it's kind of a cold morning and and Robert Paul says we should move, pick her up and get her and and Charles Cross the other guy says no it's Charles Cross yeah Charles Cross says no no don't Pick her up. So then they're like, well, we should go um, get a police. I think, yeah. And they're like, yeah. And they're both just like, yeah, for sure. But I am also going to work. And I'm going to get me late. And so what we'll do is we'll continue on our way to work. And when we see a cop, we'll tell them. 
but we're not going to stop going to work. Agreed. And also, the police presence in that area at the time was not huge. It actually is fairly consistent, which is one of the things that makes this so mysterious because right. cops, and especially as the murders keep happening, they are just doing circles around this tiny neighborhood. In fact, someone was like 15 minutes before I come around again. So they could time when a murder right. happened because but they were like, I like was just here. But there was a of them. It wasn't like they were, because no. they weren't people they cared about protecting. Uh, exactly. But they were people they worried about controlling. Right. The police that they inform goes back to where the body is. And to your point, how many cops were there? There's a cop right next to her when he gets there. There's another cop already there. Mm. And he's like, I found a woman. And he's like, yeah, dude just said there was a woman here. And they realized then the two cops at that point, she has been slashed across the throat twice real deep like down to her vertebrae once they lift her skirts and see that she has been gutted that it's not just that she's been stabbed in the abdomen she's been slashed down the middle and it is one of the most brutal things that any of them have seen and stabbed in the vagina it's terrible then they determine who she is her name is marianne nichols but everyone calls her polly She's a 43-year-old alcoholic prostitute with nowhere to stay. In fact, that very night, she had tried to get into this DOS house, this lodging house. She didn't have the money for even the rope seat. And they turned her out, and she kind of said, I'm going to, I'll be back. I'll I'll go get my DOS money, and I'll be back. Um, And that, you know, in their interviews was, you know, the last that they saw of her. Now, at this point, another important character arrives in our story, okay? The media. We had newspapers long before 1888. Oh, yeah. Right? And we had kind of media circuses before 1888. What is really new about Whitechapel at this time is literacy among the lower classes is really high because earlier in the century, they had imposed a mandatory education requirement for children that resembles something like what we have today, but it is basically, we got to get these sluts to read. Those kids are now adults. So even if they're poor, they can pretty much all read. I did not know that. And this pertains to them and it's selling newspapers. Mm. And there is an antagonism, which still exists, between the media and the police, which is the police trying not to get any information out. Right. The media is trying to get as much as they can to the point where maybe they fabricate, maybe they enhance, maybe they're bribing, maybe they're whatever. And there's constant suspicion from one side or the other. And there is just this desperate, desperate want for more information, which is selling tons and some people are doing it because like you and I like true crime junkies like them what happened and some people are consuming this news because they fucking live in Whitechapel right <laughs> okay and like um what does he look like where is he going how do I you know survive this yeah but also that's the entertainment of the time is these papers you know the penny pages you sure know, it's like that's where you got Sweeney Todd from and stuff like that yes it's a story like it's just this dark macabre mystery Totally. And it's, was Jack the Ripper the first killer of this kind? Or was this the first story of this kind that could be consumed in this way? And that that, those three things together, because you can be like, yeah, I mean, these fucks live through the Middle Ages. Like, they ain't unfamiliar with, like, slashy, gory nastiness. But this madman, individual, unmotivated, simply wants to kill, has a thirst for blood, isn't doing it for God or for country or for revenge or for any of the reasons we sort of understand. And that we get to read about it and think about it all the time. That, yeah, those that was, like, the combination of stuff that is this kindling. One week after... Polly 
is found. Um, a guy is going out to the outdoor toilet in the backyard of his nasty ass lodging house. And when he comes out of the john, he sees lying against the fence on her back, the body of a woman. And he, oh my God, right? Alerts the police and they come. And this individual is Annie Chapman. She's 47 years old. She has her throat slashed twice, just like Polly did. Um, only it's escalated. She is, her skirts are up. She's been gutted. Her uterus and bladder are missing. They are nowhere to be found. Her stomach and a lump of flesh have been thrown over her left shoulder. Her small intestine and another huge portion of her flesh has been thrown over her right shoulder. A bunch of her stuff is like kind of neatly arranged next to her. And she's got these two like V slits on her cheeks, like, and part of her ear has been cut off. So again, all the things that we've already seen and observed and felt from this, you, you don't have to be a criminologist to be like, what the fuck, right? They start looking all over for clues and stuff. And one of the things they find, Peter, is a clean leather apron. <sighs> Okay, so now I've told you this media, everybody says, oh my God, and everything means something in the leather apron. And immediately in the press, in the gossip, in the whatever, they start calling the killer. The leather apron. The leather apron. And this leather apron is clean. (gasps) What was he trying to say with this clean? Now, the Jewish population in Whitechapel had several jobs, including butchers and stuff, where they would wear leather aprons. So this also starts to feed one of the first flames of anti-Semitism around the Whitechapel murders, mm. which is this killer's probably one of those new Jews, right? Yeah, that we're so scared they're of. Butchers they're butchers. And, and, and they wear they this clothes. They know how to cut things. Exactly. And, yeah. and as this is going on, and they're starting to like, people are starting to like get even nastier than they already are to their Jewish neighbors. Everyone's like, everybody, hang on, guys. We know this clean leather apron belongs to a guy who lives in this building, who hung it out to dry because it's clean. And it blew off the line and landed in his yard. It's just a clean leather apron next to a dead body. Sorry, everybody. It doesn't actually mean anything. But this is already no, started no, to the we point can't accept that. where Ooh. they're like, you know, there's a Jewish guy that everybody calls leather apron because he wears his leather apron everywhere. And we have been talking about leather aprons, which means that must, he's the, they arrest him, Peter. Yep. His name is John Pizer. He is arrested. He is in jail for a minute. But the good news is, even with murders and tons of anti-Semitism and all these things, not only is he released, he's not charged, he is actually able to successfully sue one of the newspapers and get a little bit of uh, retribution for the fact oh, like that you can't, I didn't know. You can't just call me leather apron and you know so he he got a little bit of justice and all of a sudden a letter arrives at the central news agency mm. and this letter um uh was written even the envelope everything was written in red ink and it's known as the Dear Boss letter because it, that's how it starts. It's addressed to Dear Boss. And what I'm going to do now is I'm going to pass this note over to my friend oh, Peter. Here we go. And Peter is going to read us in his finest Whitechapel-esque accent the letter, the Dear, Hello, everybody. The dear Boss letter. That's what we want to do is offend everybody. Mm-hmm. All right. <clears throat> dear Boss, I keep on hearing the police have caught me 
But no, they... do a Cockney accent. Oh, come on, for real? Yeah, he even writes in like he'll he writes in like I a little. Di- come on, dear boss. There we go. I kept on hearing the police have caught me, but they won't fix me just yet. I have laughed when they look so clever and talk about being on the right track. That joke about leather apron gave me real fits. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on down and whores, and I shan't quit ripping them till I do get buckled. Grand work the last job was. I gave the lady no time to squeal. How can they catch me now? I love my work and want to start again. You will soon air me with my funny little games. I saved some of the proper red stuff in a ginger beer bottle over the last job to write with, but it went thick like glue and I can't use it. Red ink is fit enough, I hope. <laughs> Literally wrote ha ha ha. Literally wrote ha ha ha. The next job I shall do, I shall clip the lady's ears off and send the police officers just for jolly, wouldn't you? <laughs> Keep this letter back till I do a bit more work and then give it out straight. My knife's so nice and sharp. I want to get to work right away if I get a chance. Good luck. Yours truly, Jack the Ripper. <laughs> Again, literally wrote. Literally uh-huh. wrote. Ha <laughs> ha. Pretty good letter, right? Yeah. And guess who's got a name? Jack the Ripper. So there are at least two bodies before we call this a Jack the Ripper killing. They are the Whitechapel murders until this letter arrives. It is spooky, threatening, scary. You read it beautifully. You've got the job. Thank you. Um, and I just, the, I hadn't even prepped for and it. And it's a cold rain. Oh my God. Um, and it was, it stood out. From any of the other kind of potential letters, because it talks about specifics, the cutting the ears. I'm going to hold the this squeal. for a while. She didn't even get to squeal like that stuff. Yeah. And um, 24 hours later, 1 a.m. on September 30th, a man's uh, pulling a horse-drawn wagon down a narrow Whitechapel road, and it's still dark, and his horse sort of, ooh, like, won't what go, did, what, you know? I'm sorry, what did the horse do? <laughs> okay, I'll do it again. That's exactly what happened, to the point where the dude is, get off the wagon. It's like, what? And, and sees something on the ground. It is, of course, the body of a woman. Now, this woman has had her throat slashed deeply twice down to the vertebrae. This is why she's in the canonical five. But that's it. She's still bleeding. It like to the point where you can see. It just happened. It just happened. Right. Police are called. We are now on it. (laughs) Okay. We know something's fucking up. The police come there right away. They see, yeah, oh my gosh, she's been slashed. Just like the other one. Oh, what are we going to do? And they start circling the neighborhood and going door to door and talking to witnesses. And then all of a sudden, 45 minutes later, Peter. Another woman is found, and she, so much more than just her her throat cut twice, deep down to the vertebrae, her intestines are over her right shoulder, her nose has been cut off, her cheeks are slashed, her left kidney is missing, Mm. She has been gutted and brutalized, same same as the others. Her, as they are like, what the fuck, I fuck, and they start running around trying to find evidence and talk to people who've seen it. And they find 
her apron covered in blood, kind of thrown in the street, and not far from it, like on the wall above the apron, is graffiti that says, the Jews are the ones who won't be blamed for nothing. (laughs) Which all my English majors out there just got a migraine (laughs) because it's terrible grammar. It's like double, triple negative with a macchiato twist, right? (laughs) Yeah, right? Absolutely. You're like, the Jews are the ones who will not not be be blamed blamed for for nothing. nothing. So then you're like, well, does that mean like the Jews are the ones who did it? Or do you mean like the Jews are the ones who did it? Leave the Jews alone. They didn't didn't do it. it. Generally, though, graffiti that has the word Jews in it is not like, leave the Jews alone. (laughs) Hey, hey, everybody. (laughs) Customarily, that's not. I'm going to write some graffiti to be positive. Yeah. And check this. This is what happens next, Peter. The police are like, fuck. Because there's no knowing that these two things are connected. There's anti-Semitic graffiti on a wall. This is all over the place. And it's next to a bloody ape. And they don't know what to do. So they wash the graffiti off before anyone can take a picture of it and try really hard to stop anyone from even talking about it. It's like not great investigating stuff, but they were truly worried about the people rioting because they didn't think the right. police were yeah, doing yeah, enough. Yeah. And they were really worried about the police or the public rioting against their Jewish neighbors. And they were, in addition to stopping the murders, they were trying really hard to not let this powder keg explode. Uh, the victim, her name is Catherine Eddowes. So sad. She was 46, same as the others. Poor, unhoused, tr- prostituting herself in Whitechapel to just get a bed for the night. She had been arrested for drunkenness earlier in the day and had sat in the drunk tank until she sobered up. They asked her, what's your name? She said nothing. Mm. When they deemed her to be sober enough to leave, they just turn her out into the street and she says, bye, like, thanks. And they see her turn left. That was the last, like, you know, person who saw her. One of the um, other witnesses said they saw her with a man not long before the murder, a man who had a mustache. But if you look at any picture of London in 1888... They all had mustaches. It's like, it's like a guy who was wearing a t-shirt and shoes. <laughs> Elizabeth Stride was killed at 1 a.m. Catherine Eddowes is killed at 1.45 a.m. The next day, they get this <sighs> letter. I'm going to read another in letter. In the Central News Agency. Oh, I, I did not prepare for this. I know, <clears> it's <throat> so good. All right, <clears throat> I was not codding, dear old boss, when I gave you the tip. You'll hear about Saucy Jackie's work tomorrow. Double event this time. Number one squealed a bit, but couldn't finish her straight off. Had not time to get ears off for police. Thanks for keeping the last letter back till I got to work again. Jack the Ripper. Mm -hmm. This time he did not write... Ha ha. Ha no no laughter. Overt he's laughter like, in this one. He's proud of what he's doing. Very done. proud. And it's so like now this is one of the things. This is where your ripperologists, and yes, that's what they call themselves. I love that. The ripperologists. Chronicle five and the ripperologists. Now we have a show. Now we got it. They um they said the handwriting was similar. They say this is from the same guy, and this person must be the perpetrator because they know about the double event. They say the first woman was slashed, but he couldn't get to her, which was exactly right. I mean, he's naming all of these things. Right, from before the it's been put out anywhere. It's le- literally 24 hours. Literally 24 hours. So it hasn't been printed yet. Right. But other ripperologists are like, 24 hours, girl, is plenty of time. Sure, it's a telephone for game of people just talking about it. Totally. Sure. In fact, it is linked to the suspicion that a lot of people have that the true writer 
of these letters was a member of the press. They arrived at the central news agency. They're so dramatic. They're written in red ink. They give this killer this incredible name and Mm. that this must have been something to sort of keep interest and keep people reading. And there hadn't been a murder in a minute. And So as many reasons as you have to believe that this is the truth, there are really viable reasons to think that maybe not. That letter that you just read arrived October 1st. This next final letter that you're going to read arrived two weeks later on October 16th. This letter includes, by the way, a bloody human kidney. Oh. It is received by the leader of the Whitechapel Vigilance Committee, which is like a neighborhood watch. Right. And it's a package with a kidney and the following note. From Al, Mr. Lusk. Sore, I sent you half the kidney. I took one from one woman, parasaved. It for you, tether piece. I fried and ate it. It was very nice. I may send you the bloody knife that took it out if only wait a while longer. Signed, catch me when you can, Mr. Lusk. Mm-hmm. This is why I will not eat steak and kidney pie Thank in you. England. Thank just you. saying. You just never know. Or blood sausage. Come on. Come on. They determined this this kidney human. This kidney done been preserved in spirits for a while. We don't know how long. They couldn't necessarily say it came from her, that it right. was her kidney. They didn't have that type of. But uh, this it is. It was a human kidney. It's a human kidney. And things are kidding. Now, we are, we are ankle deep. In crazy trauma. The police are doubling and they're circling every block way quicker. Everyone's under suspicion. It's crazy. And the fear, what is happening? Now we're introducing cannibalism. Now we're introducing, this is Hannibal Lecter stuff. Exactly. I mean, when you talk about all the hallmarks of what we consider sort of modern serial killers, taunting the police, cannibalism, sex workers, women. I mean, it, it, it truly did set the like, what we, what we established. Are we at five yet? The final victim. It is 10.45 a.m. on November 9th. Dude gets ordered by his boss, who is a landlord, to go collect rent at 13 Miller's Court, which, like, every place in Whitechapel is a shitty old place. It is, though, a private area, but it's like a wall was put up in an already too small house, and the only door to, like, get into this unit was through the alleyway, and it's got a broken window, but it's a space. Sure, and they were always late with their rent anyway. Six, and this at this particular moment, uh, yeah, they're six weeks behind. So dude goes to the, to the flat, door's locked, knocks, somebody comes, there's a broken window with, like, a makeshift curtain over it, and he lifts it up, and he looks through this hole in the window and sees, just from that vantage point, bad death blood. And he goes to his boss and is like, I don't, how would you like me to proceed? <laughs> right. And his boss is like, uh, well, we should, let's go check that out. So they go, the heat looks together through the window and they're like, yeah, we got to call the police. I don't know what that, that's bad. Let's call that, the police. That doesn't look good. And the police come and Peter at this point, they don't go in right away. And it's so dumb. They were trying, reaching for modern investigative techniques and they have bloodhounds and they were like don't quit fucking up these scenes by carrying away the dead people immediately and washing all the blood away like i think we kind of need this stuff to figure out what's going on just quit fucking touching everything just wait for bloodhounds wait for people to get there before you do anything so they're waiting 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 and then finally they're like get the fuck in there what are you guys waiting here for and they're like okay fine so they <laughs> open the door finally and they go in now i don't particularly 
consume true crime in part because every once in a while you get an image like the image of the body of Mary Jane Kelly that you just can never unsee. I've described to you the brutalization and the murders of these women, and there are in existence some autopsy sketches um, and pictures of the area, but you, there's no crime scene photos. When, in the case of Mary Jane Kelly, there are two very clear crime scene photos wow. that are so horrible that honestly, I'm not gonna include it on my site, I, you can find it in a second, but I just want to warn you, like what I say with my daughter when she's consuming things that scare her, um, protect your imagination. Just mm. be careful with yourself sure. because it's pretty bad. Um, yeah, I don't I think will... people realized mm. photography existed mm. back then. Mm -hmm. I mean, and it was new, but they yeah, got but, this. Yeah. So here is what they find inside. Now, first of all, the woman, Mary Jane Kelly, is different than the other victims in the sense that she is in a private house, she is the only one found indoors. That is part of the reason why her injuries are so much more extensive than anyone else's because the killer had time and privacy. Mm. She is 20 years younger than the previous victims. See, that's what I wanted to address. Yeah, like, she's Everybody 25. was in their late 40s. She's, kind, she's described as beautiful. She was a high-end prostitute. She worked in really nice brothels for a while before she had come down to Whitechapel. Um, she has no face. When I say you can't recognize her, it's not that you couldn't recognize her if you knew her. I mean, it's hard to recognize. It's a human face. No eyes, no nose, no lips, no ears, just slashed beyond recognition. You can kind of see the scalp of like a head. Her throat slashed twice down, not just to the vertebrae, but there are cuts into the vertebrae to the point where the force was stronger than the others. Her heart is missing. Her abdomen has been completely emptied and is over her shoulder. Some of it's by her feet. Both breasts have been cut off. One's by her shoulder, one's by her foot. On the table next to her, what the guy who came to get the rent saw was just a pile of flesh, like all of the flesh that he had taken off her abdomen. He had like put like a towel, like a wet towel on the table next to her. It is undoubtedly the most gruesome thing that anyone there had ever seen. There were no reports, and this is true with all the women, of any screaming, any fighting, any... One woman who lived directly above her said she thinks maybe she heard someone leave at 545. But other than that, there is next to nothing. A, a witness said they, they heard her singing in her room until after midnight. She was then out looking for clients as late as 2 a.m., one person said that he saw her with a man with a mustache. Oh, God. Um, and so there, again, the most brutal, the most horrible, and it is after that date, November 9th, no more murders like this, no more letters, it's cold. Now, people, there's still letters, but nothing that remotely resembles the letters right. that make no sort of reference in sort of the historical record. And there's still murders. There's some say, torsos found. I there, was going to say, there's some murders that, yeah. that at, in the beginning, they said were part of it. And then as they looked at it closer, said, no, that's yeah. why you have the conical five. That's exactly right. Because yeah. like one woman, for example, got her throat slashed and by her boyfriend who turned up covered in blood a right. little bit later. And, you're like, All right, and then there's some torsos found and people are like, well, if the, if the Ripper did appear to be getting increasingly brutal and increasingly whatever, it doesn't seem that far that, that there would be heads and arms and legs eventually kind of, but that's a leap, you, you know, and why did the letters stop and whatever? So 
It is after Mary Jane Kelly's murder that there's just a poof of dust (laughs) and it's over. In 1892, they officially closed the case unresolved and we begin (laughs) the 135 year trail that we are on now of speculation, assumption, and conspiracy theories. So what I wanna do now is take a little break, refill up beverages, and then we're gonna come back and we're gonna talk about our favorite suspects. The suspects. <laughs> this podcast is part of the Deluxe Edition Network. To find other great shows on the network, head over to deluxeeditionnetwork.com. That's deluxeeditionnetwork.com. Hello, everyone. My name is Brad. And I'm Denise. We are the host of World's True Crime Podcast. Every Monday, we release an episode researched by me about the most heinous criminals throughout history from across the globe. And then every Thursday, we will release an episode from me about disappearances, UFOs, the unexplained, and strange history. To lighten up the episode, we take part in movie trivia at the time of the incidents. You can find us everywhere you listen to podcasts and find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. We also can be found at worldstruecrime.com. So just remember, everybody, the world's not always as it seems. Before we continue in pursuit of Jack the Ripper, a huge thank you for the generous lube that you've applied to our algorithm, right? I mean, we are breaking download records with every episode, and we just couldn't do it without you and your likes and shares and reviews and telling your friends to... Follow me, follow me, follow me, follow. What we're going to do now is dig into the stuff that helped build the fame of the case. And what I want to try to do is I'm just going to start really loosely outlining the cops, like the law investment investigation portion of it with just a little bit more highlight because... I mentioned the beginning, the Blitz, and the reason why a lot of this stuff is gone, but they weren't as dumb. No, they weren't Keystone cops. They weren't Keystone, and they were criticized at the time. They had these real embarrassing, like, cartoons of, like, look at these fucking, like, blindfolds on the cops and, like, the rippers behind them. And they were like, what the fuck do you want us? We got the the bloody women. We don't. We didn't even know who these women are for, like, two days. Well, that was the thing, too. It wasn't like people had licenses or no. you could go on a database data a oh, database hello. <laughs> hello a database a and find what they do right. but um also you talk about Scotland Yard and they were the pinnacle yes. of police work that's right you make a very good point if any fucking police-esque in place was going to figure it out it was probably going to be Scotland Yard yeah. Um, and here's what they do. So from the beginning of, of the case, we have Whitechapel police and London police, because even though all these women were killed within about a mile of each other, technically where like lines are drawn, um, one of them was killed in London. So they had already brought right. in like officially London police. And it's all a part of London. They're just different zones. Exactly. And it's also like departments, just like right. it is now. Exactly. You've got villages and departments sure. and sort of officials. So they're doing house to house searches. They did hundreds of interviews. They are lining up sailors with hookers just walking around being like, nope, nope, nope. Like they are doing what they can. They're making arrests, even if it's just because you're a Jew with a leather apron, but they're trying. And the, it, like I said, in 1892, they're like, no more murders, no more letters. Like we'll bring out this case whenever anybody thinks they've got 
forgot some, but here we go. Um, one of the lead investigators on the case is a guy named Frederick Aberline. That's Johnny Depp in the From Hell movie. He was not an opium addict. There's a lot of things don't do, but he That's exists. Sherlock Holmes, who right. never existed. Actually, but Sir Arthur Conan Doyle has a theory on this case, oh. which is actually very interesting. Um, you've got the Whitechapel Vigilance Committee, which I mentioned before, was the Mr. Lusk who got the From Hell letter right. with the kidney in it. And then you've got this guy named Thomas Bond, who, very fascinating, he is one of the first to really delve into like a psychological profile. And he's mm. not trying to, to figure out who he is with evidence. They're like, what kind of person should we be looking for? And he was like, well, uh, they probably seem real normal because they're able to blend in and like nobody seems to know, but they have these crazy manic murderous tendencies. And everyone was like, that's crazy that you knew that. <laughs> you know, and now you're like, well, yeah, duh. You were the ripper. <laughs> right. That, yeah, that's probably what it was. But here are the things that then and now are the most common presumptions about whoever this individual is. These seem to be the theories that would, you know, include a good subject. One, this individual probably lived or worked in the area because the streets and the alleys of Whitechapel are narrow, unpredictable, winding, dead ends. Unless you really knew the place, it'd be hard to quick hide, get out of there without being seen. Right, you had to know how to find, get away. know where a quiet corner was to hide someone. Sure. There's no GPS back then, no, no Thomas GPS. guide. Exactly. I'm reaching back on the Thomas you guide, really right? Did. And even the idea of like a getaway carriage, <laughs> you know, that's something people see. <laughs> you know, that's, that's you're gonna notice. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, I saw a carriage go. Right. It went a little faster. And the guy said. See my mustache. Yeah. So we, so so the theory is that the individual lived or worked around there. Two, um, is that the this is funny, that the person had anatomical knowledge, some surgical experience, right, 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 or that the individual absolutely did not have anatomical knowledge or surgical experience. You, the ripperologist, a twin. Because somebody like, they took out a heart and a kidney. I don't exactly know how yeah, to take out a heart and a kidney. But then they're like, yeah, but this wasn't like a heart-kidney transplant. They're just getting it out. And if you gut a person, you can probably find their heart if you just want to get it out. Yes. But I think the thing was is there was some precision in the cutting. It wasn't like the Jack the Ripper was about him taking the stuff out, not ripping it out. No. I wouldn't know what the kidney is. Right. I know there's sort of the other. What we do know is this individual has very sharp tools. So that kind of, okay, so maybe they don't have surgical knowledge, but they have butchers or surgical instruments. Sure. Seems to be the idea. Um, a man, with the exception of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, is the one who proposed a Jill, Jill the, the Ripper. Ripper. Yes. Yes. Jill the Ripper. And he suggested that this would be a crazy midwife. Um, someone who was used to, you know, because there's so much uteruses in this. The uterus sure. is missing. The abdomen, the vagina has been torn. And, 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 you know, and we're all like. It just doesn't. I mean, there's just never a time that someone says they saw a woman. Women aren't any type of female serial killer. The women aren't known to do something this brutal. It really, Sir Arthur Conan. But if you were a Hilf fan, you'll know that I talk about Sir Arthur Conan Doyle in my Houdini episode. Right. And he's kind of a dunce, actually, it turns out. Well, he out. was an opium addict. <laughs> he was no, And he believed a lot of crazy shit. So mm -hmm. he didn't need a lot of evidence to believe stupid shit, is what no. I'm saying. Um, and then the, the final sort of assumption is that 
because the murders stopped abruptly in November 9th, that the perpetrator of the Whitechapel murders, the individual known as Jack the Ripper, either died, moved, or was incarcerated or committed sometime or after November else, 9th. Yeah. Because even then, even with the first OG right, version of this kind of killing, people were like, you don't just stop. Yeah. Those are the assumptions. So given that general background on the investigation, how things went, are you ready for my go. suspects? Now you know, and you've been digging in on this stuff too. So if right. I have omitted any suspects or if you know more than I'm bringing in, girl, jump in. Well, here's the disclaimer on that. If I can do that, it's not my show, it's your show. But Disclaim here's, away. Here's a disclaimer that I would like to fuck. Um, <laughs> is that there's a ton of suspects. Yeah. Like you were just saying, like there's so many people that followed their idea of what the trail was. So in looking things up, you're going to find 30, 40 people. Right. But then there tends to be one or two that's always in the same list. Mm -hmm. So that's what I'm, that's what I'm intrigued to see what you found there, oh, dear Dawn. Yes. How, how was your digging? Oh, deep and thorough. <laughs> I'd be surprised if you didn't get this guy right early on. Aaron Kosminski. Yes. Okay, so Aaron Kosminski, he's a Polish Jew who hated women, apparently. He was a misogynist. He had homicidal tendencies. He was committed by his family to an insane asylum after uh, November 9th, and early in 1889. He had schizophrenia. His family seemed to kind of think that he... Might have been Jack mm -hmm. the Ripper. But then the reason it rises to the top and is often one of the first suspects mentioned is because a retired police commissioner wrote a book because, as we've said, girl can sell a book if you put Jack the Ripper in it. And he says, I know who Jack the Ripper was. I know the individual. But this individual, it was a Jew who is now committed to an asylum. Should I say his name? I don't know. He toy literally writes that. And like, I don't know if I should say his name. It would probably wouldn't do any good if I said his name. Everyone would just go crazy. So I won't say his name. But don't he, worry. He's he been so mad at me. Committed. And he's, and he's since gone. So don't even worry about it. But then that book was in the possession of another police officer, another retired police officer from that unit who had written in pencil in the margins. So he reads his colleague's tell-all book and he writes in the margins, Aaron Kosminski. Like, this is the fuck he's talking about, right. right? So through this, they were like, here's yet another, you know, connection to the Jack the Ripper the Killings that you're like, well, I, you know, I don't know. That somebody wrote his name down. And then the big one, the most recent, like, welcome to the millennium, Jack the Ripper. In 2007, a writer named Russell Edwards buys a bloody shawl in auction. Why would you pay money for a bloody shawl? Well, because it belonged to Catherine Eddowes. And you're saying bloody as it had blood on it, it not blood the English it. version of like, look at that bloody uh, shawl. Right. Well, it could have been both, couldn't it? Um, but this, apparently, this shawl, this bloody shawl, get this, this is a story. This is at least a story that was enough oh, to get know, into auction. I know this you one. Know this this one. is one I know. So the bloody shawl was taken allegedly from the scene of the crime by one of the cops who gives it to his wife as like, good news, baby. This is a bloody shawl from a dead hooker. I know how much you love these. <laughs> you look so good at that Christmas dance we go Your to. Your eyes are really going to sparkle. She, of course, is like, you're a fucking psycho she puts the shawl in a box and puts it away that's two weird things right there right 
that he brought it home and that she it doesn't just throw it immediately into the trash. Or gives to investigators or wash as it or throw it or whatever. She puts it bloody still in storage for a hundred years, where eventually a descendant of theirs finds the bloody shawl in this magic box. Goes on antique road show. Says, I have a bloody shawl from Catherine. Okay, so That'd Russell be worth Edwards. fourteen ninety five. Well in two thousand seven, Russell Edwards is like, I'll I don't know how much he paid for the shawl. That would be yeah, I He gets know. the shawl. He gets it to a biological DNA expert who is now putting all of our favorite CSI shit on this stuff. We love CSI. And he, th- according to Russell Edwards' book, because guess who wrote a book? He is able to determine through the DNA found on the shawl and the DNA of Aaron Kosminski's known descendants that there is some blood related to the Kosminskis on this shawl. Holy fuck, blew it open in combination with what this police commissioner wrote down in his book. The murder stopped after he was committed. Bop, bop, done deal. So many problems, of course. One is, why would Jack the Ripper's blood be on this shawl? Like, it doesn't, that it's covered in blood from a dead woman makes sense. That it's the killer's blood doesn't make any sense. Then people who understand DNA slightly more than authors and slightly more than historians were like oh that's not how dna like mitochondrial dna doesn't tell you two people are related it tells you two people could not possibly be related because so many of us share mitochondrial dna that it can only be used to disprove relation so Mm. this immediately is coming out (laughs) and so but he was like yeah but it's still probably him though right and the fact is people are like i don't know maybe Okay, so that's as, yeah, that's sure. where we leave it with Aaron Cosmic. You want to believe it? You got two reasons to believe it. The next one, here's, listen to this one. Severin Klausowski sounds very much like Aaron Kosminski and Severin, who doesn't like a good Severin. This guy is so tricky. His name sounds so much like the previous suspect, yeah. and his alias was George Chapman, which is the last name of one of the victims, Annie Chapman. It makes it all very confusing. This guy was considered a suspect because he moved to Whitechapel just as the murders began, and he the murders stopped right after he left. Right. He has a big old mustache, which, like I said, amazing. <laughs> and he did kill three of his wives and was executed for the murder of his wives in 1903. However, the reason I don't believe this guy is because he killed his wives with poison. And right. Yes, just, yes, yes. I'm like, girl, if you want to hold someone's kidney and throw their intestines over their left shoulder you don't you don't just start slipping a little arsenic in the in the teapot i think that's not how that right goes. and and it was he killed why his wife right like yeah. it was like more of an intimate like totally for a reason sure. you kill a wife for a reason she spends right. too much money at she, the white chapel target yeah, she won't shut the fuck up how about that This is an interesting one. Did you stumble upon Montague John Druitt? Yes. So he is a dismissed, disgraced school teacher who was, quote unquote, sexually insane, which probably just means he likes it in the butt once in a while, but there you go. Easy. Easy. His family thought it was him, and he kills himself and is found in the Thames days after Mary Kelly's murder. But once they timed how long he had been in the water, they conceived that it was possible that he killed her that night and jumped into the river that same night. Right. My issue with um, this guy, with Montague, which I love the name. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Montague John Druitt. Such a great name. Great name. Um, 
is why it doesn't fit the escalation of the killings and the writing of these letters. If you're going to yeah. put that all together, why would you kill yourself? Yeah. Like you haven't reached your pinnacle yet. Yeah. But it doesn't fit, right? Like why would you do right. that? You're writing all these letters, or yeah. at least three letters, taunting the police. Mm-hmm. This is your most horrific murder. You must be riding high. Well, and that's exactly why, Peter, this is why the more you research, the more difficult it right. becomes. Because that assumption that would somewhat eliminate the idea that it was Montague John Druitt requires those letters actually being from John, Jack the Ripper. Where if those letters from, from Jack the Ripper were actually fabricated by the media, and Jack the Ripper is a shy little squirrely weirdo, then it... It's not a, we're not looking for a boastful person who's trying to advertise their crimes. So you have to presume that one unknown thing is true to confirm or deny any of the following suspects. It's why it's such a right. web. Um, another sort of similar similar one where he's he's considered largely because of an arrest for homosexuality is a guy named Dr. Francis tumble tea and as any vain american we we have to bring this up because it's one of the few american suspects he is a he's a flamboyant american doctor huge mustache and girl i'm telling you this mustache is bigger than most of the other guys like this is a huge mustache and he wears like sort of military inspired he wears medals and like a feather and he is fabulously fan and he he's kind of a, a a medicine man like he sells fake ointments and things he is arrested in london for homosexuality right around the same time as the Whitechapel murders he knows he's under suspicion and they've brought him in and he escapes to france and then from France back to America. And then there were rumors, there were stories that he had thrown a party where he showed off a room full of jars, full of uteruses. That he... Uh. Had, but that... And that has been written down and repeated gazillions times. One of the things that our man here, Philip Sugden, is so good about is he's like, there is zero follow-up on this story somebody said it a hundred people repeated it no one saw it no one is willing to say they saw it no one has any photographs of it he has no documentation of this there is no reasonable understanding of how or went they're like i think it it all made up because it sounds cool but also if you're talking about somebody who's that noticeable walking around white chapel yeah. It doesn't fit. Doesn't the, fit. Car- the personality doesn't fit. It has nothing nope. to do about being gay or straight. If no, you're walking around it. and you don't know the area, one, and two, if you're wearing those clothes and yeah. if his mustache was that fantastical, right. it wouldn't just be, oh, he had a mustache. It would have been like, oh, the he was mustache. wearing the Windsor John 43. <laughs> Right. You know, right? Exactly. Like it would have a name and a number. Right. His Magnum PI. He had a floral shirt on. Exactly. He was wearing shorts. It was Tom Selleck. It was Tom Selleck. I am now introducing Tom Selleck as a suspect. It, he'd fit right in. He'd fit right in. Um, and then there's this guy, Carl Fiegenbaum. Yes, is an interesting guy. He was a German sailor docked in Whitechapel during the murders, which explains why he wouldn't have been picked up in like a door to door search and like some of the you know investigations and bars and stuff because he could have just come into town killed her and gone right back to the boat he was arrested for slitting women's throats in new york city he said he hated women and he was executed in america in 1896 so people draw lines and say yeah again perfectly viable my favorite suspect so 
If you recall, way back, our very first of the canonical five, Polly. Um, Our guy, Robert uh, Paul, is walking down Bucks Row, that long, narrow alleyway. And then Charles Cross is like, oh, my gosh, there's a woman here. And then they're like, we got to go to work, right? So there is a documentary, one of my favorites, put out by the Smithsonian Institution. And it's this Swedish historian, this Swedish journalist who is like, Charles Cross is Jack the Ripper, the guy who found Polly's body. Because when they recreate Whitechapel in 1888 and they talk about the interviews they had with Robert Paul and with Charles Cross, they're like, so... He says, the guy was like, hey, there's a woman over here. And I went over there and there she was dead. But he would have seen and heard another man walking to work down that alleyway if he had been also moving and walking before he found that body. He just appears next to her, but that's not an alleyway access way that he would have been coming down and entered Buck's Row from like another entrance. Like in piecing it together, he was like, what the fuck was Charles Cross doing there? And she was freshly dead. Remember? I mean, they felt her, her hands were cold, but everything else felt warm and it was like a cold morning. So they couldn't tell like how long she'd been dead. Robert Paul's like, let's pick her up. And he, and Charles Cross was like, no, no, no. There's lots of reasons why you wouldn't want to pick up a dead prostitute. But if they had, but what we know now is that if they had, they would have seen immediately that her throat was slit. Right. They would have noticed that right away. Then when they bring in Charles Cross to question him, he gives a different name. He gives the name of Charles Lechmere. And there's Mm. all, and one of the most fun things about researching these suspects, and I hope you had this experience and you at home might find it even more is you either don't believe any of them. Every suspect comes around, you're like, no, 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 can't be them, can't be them. Or you find when you're like, that's the fucking one. And you get emotional and you get latched on and you get like, I fucking figured it out. And then you watch another one that you go, nope, never mind. (laughs) That's the one that I figured it out. But like this one, I keep coming back to. And every time I've revisited the story and they mention just casually that Charles Cross found her, I'm like, yeah, but did he? He was also a carman. A car man, he like um, delivered stuff around London. A lot of it severed uh, animals to butchers. He was a car man specifically to butchers. So he would have been covered in blood all the time. It wouldn't have seemed weird. He would have had access to all of these tools. Who knows? My biggest problem with why Charles Cross is because we don't know why he would have stopped. He lives a a bit past this, and it doesn't Uh make a lot of sense why he would have stopped. But I will encourage you to watch the documentary in the link and see what you think. (gasps) And then we get the conspiracy theory suspects, Peter. Before I get into my conspiracy theory suspects, do yeah. you want to give me your your favorite? Uh, my favorite? Your favorite suspect. The one that I always believed was Jack the Ripper. Yeah. Is Prince Albert Victor. Yes. Because there's so much in the investigations that apparently at the time started getting covered up. Mm-hmm. because it was the royal family hiding the fact that they had this deviant guy who had syphilis. Mm-hmm. And they believe the syphilis made him mad, angry mad, but also his mind went mad. So I've always, I was one of the people that got on the royalty yeah. bandwagon that it was. Well, that is what's proposed in that From Hell. The, yeah, the exactly. The graphic novel and that From Hell movie does draw that connection. And people, god damn, it is always more interesting if there's a royal involved he was victoria's grandson queen victoria's grandson Grandson. the trick is with victor 
is in addition to all of this like high royalty stuff, he was also described by virtually everyone as a, a moron. Both, yeah. Inbred, you know, hard, very simple. They always described him as very simple and very unmotivated. So this is what's so funny about the various theories about Prince Albert Victor that I love. One is exactly what you said, that he got syphilis from a prostitute. It drove him mad enough to kill. Right. And vengeful enough to want to go get the bitches that gave it to him. They realized fairly quickly in the research into this theory that he was not in England at the time. For, the, was, in, for right. the entirety like of the He literally wasn't in the country. He was gone. But then people hold on to the theory because they still really love it. And God bless you. I love it too. It's fucking great. Yeah. So they were like, all right, so what? He's Prince Albert. It doesn't mean he killed them himself, even though that is what the civil, the whole thing of the syphilis was that it was mad enough to do it. Right. Whatever. But they're like, no, no, no. The royal, the royal world, while he was out of the country realized one this affair has to be covered up because there was a child as a result of it so it may have syphilis whatever but that there was an illegitimate heir now that brings the whole royal family into it it is now their business to get these sluts and so they knew the woman her name was annie crook they were like annie crook's the one she's the prostitute that prince albert slept with she's the one who had the baby and we need to kill her, but we need, we can't just go kill a prostitute. So we have to kill like five of them in really horrible ways that like throws them off the scent. All of this to suggest that if the royal family wanted to kill a prostitute in Whitechapel, <laughs> that they would have to, first of all, kill a bunch of prostitutes so that it wouldn't seem weird. <laughs> then, you know, that they would be worried that people would think, I mean, it's just, it's so far-fetched. Then they were like, they had to, then they were like, no, it wasn't that, that they, these prostitutes were blackmailing the royal family. So they didn't kill five prostitutes just to cover up. They killed these five prostitutes because these they other were five were in the know, right. And let me tell you what would happen if any of these five prostitutes had gone with actual evidence to anyone who mattered and said, I know that Prince Albert is fucking one of my friends. Fuck nothing. Nothing right. would have happened. It Nobody was not cared. a threat to the royal family. And even a baby, there's not DNA testing. A prostitute had a baby and she said it was Prince Albert's. This is not a threat to the royal family. This does not bother them. And like I said, you know, Prince Albert was a dunce. Here's the one if you really want to hold on to the royal family. And I can tell you, you do. I do. I believe they were involved somehow. Okay, so here's, here's maybe the more viable one. Ready? His name is Willie Clarkson. And he's Queen Victoria's wig maker. Ooh. Okay. So he has a violent past. He's known, he stalked his ex-fiance in like a violent manner. He bribes people and then he covers up his bribery with arson. He personally was hired to create the disguises for the cops because they started to go undercover, which I think is hilarious. Can you imagine how obvious a cop who was dressed by the Queen's wig maker would be undercover yeah, in exactly. Whitechapel. <laughs> hello, hello, fellow paws. <laughs> my God, your hair is amazing. Ooh, they, this whole thing. <laughs> this whole thing. It grew out of my head. In and the, the mustache was like a dog glued to his lip. <laughs> They're in this amazing taffeta outfit with gorgeous silver buttons. And Give me a, a one of your rotten shots of nasty booze we're all so fond of, eh? <laughs> Hello, um, I would like to purchase a lady. <laughs> For my sexual pleasure. Um, but yeah, Willie Clark, but what they're suggesting is that Willie Clarkson, in helping the cops build their disguises, 
um, knew about their investigation, would have been keyed in on their plans, who their suspects were, and where they were after. So he would have been able to sort of cover his tracks. And of course, as a wig maker, he had a lot of sharp tools and, and knives. Yeah, but then that doesn't help the initial first murder. No. No, that, I mean, there's little, you know, know the holes are okay. big, but here's, you want to, you want bigger holes? Let me give you, let me give you the two other famous, because it's so fun. And because there's like so many blurry edges, you can fit yeah, it around just around yeah. everyone. It's a dude, you know, who was alive at the time. These two are famous. They're not royal famous, right. but they're famous enough to register. One is named Walter Sickert. He is a famous painter. Yep. He was obsessed with Jack the Ripper, which I always find really funny because, of course, only people who are obsessed with Jack the Ripper are deeply researching who the suspects are to try to figure out who they are. So I find it so funny that one of the first things that makes him suspicious is how much he was interested in Jack the Ripper. Great. It's like, oh, look at the myriad. He thing. was eight years old when it all happened. And he hated his mom. And he painted work that not just was of dead prostitutes. And then, but after, I mean, this is after the murders right, took place. Right, 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 right. Paintings of dead prostitutes, but he also named some of his work Jack the Ripper's Bedroom, stuff like that. Mm. And so people with very little imagination said he must be that Jack the Ripper. No. I, it's fine. He's just um, making money. The, the one that I have to mention, just because it's so dumb, and a, some guy wrote a book, girl, <laughs> wrote a book about it. <laughs> Is the that Lewis Carroll? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. This was one of mine. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. The this author, is crazy. And like the author of Alice in Wonderland through the Looking Glass. Who, looking if you, glass, any picture like, you've ever seen of Lewis Carroll, he looks like Little Miss Moffat. And he has no mustache. Thank you, Peter. I Boom. didn't even think about Boom. that. Um, Lewis Carroll. Here's the this uh, this guy's theory on why it's Lewis Carroll. God bless him. One was that. He he had a diary, okay? And he usually wrote in purple ink. But on the days the Whitechapel murders happened, he wrote in black ink. <laughs> I mean, and he took a portion of Lewis. I don't know if it was Alice in Wonderland or a letter or a diary of the time, but he took some writing of Lewis Carroll and saw some elaborate anagram that said, I'm Jack the Ripper and I love eating women's kidneys or something. And like, it's, that's it. That is literally all the evidence he had to like write a thing about how Lewis Carroll was Jack the Ripper. And it was so great because like some people came together afterwards and were like, buddy, took his book introduction and did an anagram that said, I'm Jack the Ripper and I love eating women's kidneys. And we're like, you fucking done. Oh like, great. this is the easiest thing Well, the thing, thing with the Lewis Carroll is though, you know, he was always... The, the creepy side of Lewis Carroll, which yeah. is disturbing, is that he was more into the younger children. Yes. So he wouldn't be going to Whitechapel and, and hanging out with prostitutes. Right. Because he was busy writing children's books. Yeah. If there, yeah, we don't need to completely exonerate Lewis Carroll from anything sort of out of the lines of, of normalcy, but you can't connect them to the right. murder of these women. And that's the interesting thing about the suspects. They're always, they're all people that there was something wrong with them in a way. Mm -hmm. So they were obviously on the outskirts. There's one, one more that I, yeah. American, another American. Great. Did you already say this guy, H.H. H. Holmes? No. So this H.H. H. Holmes is the one that for American involvement, he was known to be 
a very dark person. He had oh, built... Oh, the occult and the dark yes. magic stuff. And yeah. so he had built a complete gas chamber and dissection room with trapdoors and a basement furnace in Chicago where he was building a hotel. And although he was arrested and convicted and he was sentenced to death for some of the horrible murders he committed here in America, he's he was one of America's first serial killers, um, his, grand, his great-grandson believes that he has found proof that his great-grandfather, great-great-grandfather, was Jack the Ripper because he has some information that was outlined in his involvements with the Whitechapel murders. And my biggest thing with this is it had to be somebody that they trusted. Well, right? no. He couldn't, he couldn't have been, no, he couldn't have been that odd. Do you know yeah, what I'm saying? Well, yes, because... but we are talking about 40-year-old drunk prostitutes who need six shillings to sleep upright that night. Mm. What they know is that they are going to take someone who needs someone like them to right, fuck, right, right, right. which means they're all going to be a little weird. They're all right. going to be a little drunk. Their judgment is not very clear, especially like Catherine Eddowes, who was released from a drunk tank hours before and is just sobered up enough See, to be released from police already, coming. Yeah. And what the consistent thing they have to do is bring their clients into the dark where no one can see them and hear them. So they are, that is among the things that makes it so difficult is they're desperate and they're yeah. committing an illegal act in the dark with people that you would probably not go into a dark alley with unless your alternative was sleeping on a rock in the rain by yourself. Right, which I call... Thursday. Night. Thursday. Welcome sure. to LA. I, I mean, I got to tell you, Peter, thank you for suggesting this subject because it was, I, I had a lot it's of a deep dive. I had a lot right? of fun. I adore you. I adore you. And I'm so grateful that we got to Hilf, Jack the Ripper, yeah. together. And it's unsolved, so we can keep Hilfing it. Mm. Oh, thanks again to my friend Peter Vote, and to you for hanging out with us. I'll be back in two weeks with stand-up comedian and former Marine James P. Connolly. We're hilfing doomsday, baby. The apocalypse, the end of the world, Armageddon. And for something that hasn't happened yet, it's got an incredible history. <laughs> you won't want to miss it. In the meantime, our theme song was composed and performed by Cat Perkins. And a reminder that you can find my sources, links to the books, documentaries, and articles I reference in the summary of this episode, or by emailing us, hilfpodcast at gmail.com, or messaging us on social media at hilfpodcast. This has been Hilf, history I'd like to fuck with Don Brody. I'm Don Brody, reminding you that history is a party, and everybody's coming. <laughs> Hello, my name is Jack, and I am the host of the Secret Police Podcast. Do you have a problem with authority? Because I do. And I'm on a mission to help us all build a healthy skepticism towards those in power. I do this by exploring how dictators enforce their rule. On Secret Police, we explore the history and methods of the world's most brutal secret police forces. Currently, we are chronicling Russia's long relationship with secret police forces from Ivan the Terrible's Oprichniki, the Soviet secret police, up to the modern-day FSB. If you're into history, dark humor, and hearing about the worst of what the human race has to offer, this is the show for you. 
Listen to episodes of Secret Police on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, pretty much anywhere you find podcasts. Agents dismissed. Dismissed.